Welcome to Innovators Unleashed. Join your host, leadership expert, Clinton Henry, as he embarks on a journey through the realm of talent leadership, engaging with trailblazing thought leaders from around the world. Here's your host, Clinton Henry. Today, we're talking to Jeremy Durant. With degrees in both mechanical engineering and psychology, Jeremy brings a unique perspective to leadership development. Jeremy's diverse background and storytelling ability allow him to engage and enlighten while he teaches. His work experience includes process reengineering at Pratt & Whitney, global strategy for APC, which is now Schneider Electric, owning a franchise business, and helping hundreds of business people on their journey to becoming great leaders. Let's dive in. So, Jeremy, I, I, I'm so excited that you're here, largely because your 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 background is so fascinating. You know, being, having a degree in engineering and also in in psychology. From your perspective, what challenges do new engineers face that they may not be prepared for uh, when they move into a management or a leadership role? Great, thank you for having me. First of all, um, you know that transition is difficult for everyone. People get promoted to being managers because they were really good at what they did. And then they kind of get thrown in the deep end and few people get help figuring out how to be good managers. For engineers, it's a little extra tricky because the way they communicate is very good for technical things. But when dealing with managing people or having to interact with, you know, sales or marketing departments, it's a very different communication style that they need to figure out how to adapt to. And how do you, uh, you know, recommend through your coaching that they work on adapting to that? Do you have any approaches or techniques that you think are more effective than others? Uh, you know, there's a, a number of things. The first thing I always tell people is what I, I call it the rhodium rule. People talk about the golden rule, and that's treat everyone the way you want to be treated. But not everyone wants to be treated the way you are. And it used to be called the platinum rule. But now gold's actually more expensive than platinum. So rhodium is the most expensive metal on the periodic table. And I live in Rhode Island, so I really am a big fan of the rhodium rule. Um, but that's treat everyone the way they want to be treated. So communicate with them the way they like to communicate. Sometimes people, like, for instance, I won't really pick up the phone if you give me a call. But if you send me an email, I'm happy to call you right back. And if you can pay attention to the way other people, what medium they like to use to communicate, it goes a long way towards towards normalizing the conversations. And I think that's really important when you're engaging with people outside of your team, but also when you're when you're leading a team, kind of customizing how you engage with the people you're you're managing, right? Yeah, and you know, I've seen engineers who become managers and they will not go and talk to anybody in person. And it just makes everyone on the team feel less important, less heard. So figuring out, you know, it's a combination. Sometimes email is the most efficient, but sometimes it causes miscommunication that makes it the least efficient way to communicate with people. And th does remote work create additional challenges? Um, oh, you know? for sure. Um, you know, they say that it's only 10% of your words that communicate a lot of its body language. When you're talking on the phone, you don't get body language. You at least get tone of voice, which you don't get in email. Um, but even with Zoom, you're only seeing half the person. 
And so you're, you're not getting as many cues as you normally would. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you address this, right? I mean, one of the things that I miss, and I'm speaking to you obviously from my home office, and I think you're speaking to me from your home office, right? How do you um, get around the fact that you're not having those water cooler or hallway conversations that you did previously when you're trying to, one, just engage with your team, but also network within your organization um, with uh, the hopes of potentially maybe moving up in network? Yeah. When I schedule a group meeting, I like to do breakouts. And if there are 10 people on the call, then maybe a couple of different breakouts where there's only three to four people in a room and just give them a topic that's not work related necessarily and just get people communicating. So it just, it simulates the water cooler that you no longer have. But if you can just schedule in time to chit chat, it gets difficult if there's too many people in the group because then a couple people normally dominate it. And that's why I break them out into smaller subgroups. That's interesting. Do, you know, I, I know you deal with um, new managers or new leaders. Um, and one of the, when people get into management, their goal is usually not to stay where they are. They would like to move up. Do you have recommendations or thoughts on, on how they can potentially climb that ladder from being, let's say, uh, a first line manager to middle uh, an executive manager, uh, leadership. What are your thoughts there? One thing that I tell people very often is you need to make yourself obsolete. And the way you do that is by training people on your team to do the things that you do. And delegation is something that people have tried once, they did it poorly, it didn't work, and so they just run away from it and they do things themselves. Delegation is a great way to train people. And while you're doing that, especially if they're repetitious things, you end up saving yourself a ton of time and you've just taught and empowered someone on your team. The more things you can empower them to do, the less you need to be there for the day-to-day -day and the more you can, can manage instead of actually doing. And once you've done that, you get to take credit for all the success that your team has and it allows you to move up. I've actually seen in organizations, people stuck where they are because they're too good at what they do and they haven't taught anyone else how to do it. So make yourself yeah. obsolete. No, it's, it's so interesting. And it, which is it's such, it's so counter to what we hear people. I want to make myself, you know, indispensable. Mm -hmm. Somebody do everything. And then they get frustrated because they're burned out. Right. Um, a lot of times when engineers get promoted into leadership, they have a, a hard time when I was talking about putting down the screwdriver. Right. Yes. And, and and actually stop engineering and start being a manager. Um, do you have any approaches or techniques that that help individuals do that? Or is it more of a repetition? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's really hard because you have your self pride and the commendations you have gotten up until that point have always been for things that you've done. Your product was whatever the rocket or the design or the paper and you were always happy with yourself and got recognition for making that product. The thing that I tell people is that's no longer the product. Your team is now your product. And if you look at it that way, the way that you have success by making your product is by making your team successful. And it's a, it's a tough mind shift for people to make. But if you think of your team as your product, then it goes a long way towards where you're going to focus your time. That's interesting. 
what may in your mind what makes a effective leader in the i think the the thing that crosses all spectrums is communication if you can communicate well with people whether it is your vision or it is just giving them feedback on what they've done well or not done well communication is the key at every level once you start becoming a mid-level manager moving up to a leader in the organization it always comes back to good communication. And that's not just sending, you know, concise emails, right? That's there's more to it than just that, right? There is. Uh, you know, communication is at least half listening as much as it is what you project to other people. Sometimes that gets forgotten. <laughs> so, okay, so you're a new you're a new en uh, engineering manager. You know that communication is important. Um, you know, you talk about how you go to school to be an engineer and you spend all these hours and then then you're thrust into a new role because you're a high performer right and now you're a leader how long does it take um to become an effective communicator and how can you grade yourself and and get feedback to know if, like oh i'm where i need to be or i should i need to work on this more you always need to work on it more it's always a journey but you know i talk about engineering it takes about ten thousand hours of studying and doing engineering till you're good at it. Most college degrees are for engineers about 5,000 hours of work. And then it's another couple years before you're really good at engineering. So it's not like management should be something that comes naturally overnight to you. It takes work and it's going to take continuous work. But the more you practice it, the better it's going to get. Do you think, uh, just switching gears briefly on, you know, as far as like, we always talk about brand as a leader, your personal brand is within an organization. Um, does what's, does social media like LinkedIn, is, is that an important part of brand or is it more just kind of internal communication and advertising yourself within the organization? What's, what's more effective there and what do you think people should be spending their time on? For dealing with people inside the organization, I don't think LinkedIn or Facebook are nearly as important as if you're trying to reach people outside of your organization. But within your organization, I think interacting with people as often as you can in as many different ways as possible. So talk to them through email, on the phone. If you can get them in person, that's great. And, you know, your brand is the way that you present yourself. So it's everything from your posture wearing the right clothing showing that you're confident and interestingly i think the thing that shows the most confidence is when you're willing to be curious and ask questions about things you don't know people who are not confident rarely ask those questions yeah that's, that's a great thought you worked at a very very large organizations schneider was one how did you kind of get yourself out there to climb that ladder um was that i mean obviously that you know was that just with uh with your management peers or, or how did you structure that because i know you think like an engineer but also like a psychologist so uh how did you approach that well it started early i am the youngest of 10 kids and what i realized is that if i say something with enough confidence then people would listen to me but being the youngest i had to have a lot of confidence in what i said and in one of the first weeks at work, everyone who was managing us went to a conference 
And so someone took a phone call and had a question about how long it would take to ship a product somewhere. And no one knew the answer. I said, tell them two weeks. They're like, great, two weeks. And then they hung up. They said, how do you know? I'm like, I think it's probably three to four days. But if we tell them two weeks and it gets there sooner, they'll be happy. They're like, great. And then anytime someone had a question, they would look at me for an answer, even though I was just as new as they were. So showing that you have confidence, using it wisely and, you know, not, uh, not throwing yourself under the bus with it, it goes just such a long way. And then once people start looking to you to answer things, then it builds on itself as long as you can provide answers. So I love that you brought up the, the youngest of 10, because I think, I think this shapes a lot of your perspective on, uh, on, on, you know, life in general, but specifically being, being a leader. Um, what have you learned from being the youngest of 10, aside from the have a lot of confidence that, that has helped you, one, be an excellent manager, leader, but also a, a very strong coach? The difference in everybody is pretty striking. So, you know, there's 10 of us, and the way I learned to interact with different people on the in the family was different because what worked with Liz was not my and I learned to pay very careful attention to what people do and then work with them in a way that that is comfortable for them. So it it really taught me to pay attention to people. And then, so how did, how did dinner work with 10 kids? Like, did you starve or did you have to be the fastest or, and then obviously I, I was one of four and this is why I have a challenge with waiting to people to stop talking to get my word in. So like I was to coach, like wait till they're finished speaking. Cause I was used to just trying to get my, you know, my thought and at the dinner table. So how does that scale up to 10? I'm still, I'm still, <laughs> still very confused. Yeah, food-wise, there was a, a system. Everybody had their own system. You were always going to get at least enough food, but you weren't always going to get exactly the food that you wanted. So the dinner always started with my father at the head of the table, and it went counterclockwise. So my brother Tim was always the first one at the table. He always sat in the second position, so he would get the first choice of chicken or pork chop or whatever it was. It's the youngest. I was never able to get there fastest. I didn't have the longest arms, so I couldn't reach for things in the middle of the table. What I learned to do was ask for things that no one else wanted. Mom would always make two vegetables. One was corn because everyone would eat corn. And then the second one was open to suggestion. I always suggested lima beans because I love <laughs> lima beans and no one else does. So on lima bean day, I got as many lima beans as I wanted. So that was an early lesson on finding a niche. If you can find a niche that you like and love and can profit from that other people don't necessarily want to be in, it's a great example. Uh, that's that's brilliant. Uh, yeah, uh, one of the techniques that I always talk about to people is go around the you know when you're, when you're new at an organization is to go and talk to everybody and ask them what some of their biggest challenges are. And usually you'll you'll hear two or three people say the same thing. And it's like, that's a hard problem and nobody's solved it. So if you go in and take the, you know, basically take the lima beans, the, the lima bean problem, then nobody wants to deal with that problem and solve that, you become a hero in the org. So that's uh, that's very insightful. And uh, I think everybody could learn a lot from that. So I'm cool. going to start using the term, the lima bean problem now. I love that. Please, please do. <laughs> Look, Jeremy, I, I really appreciate you, you hopping on and giving us an insight First on, on, you know, transitioning from being an engineer to being a leader. 
and then but but also what it takes to be a, a compelling and strong leader and then obviously your your perspective from you know I was being a leader, but also what, what, what you dealt with growing up in life and, and being the youngest of 10 has, has shaped a lot of uh, your perspective. And so hopefully uh, that's uh, helped our audience and, uh, and, and expanded your influence and, and reach as well. So thank you so much. I really do appreciate the time. Great. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. That's it for today's episode of Innovators Unleashed. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review and share the podcast with others. Follow your host on social media at The Clinton Henry or visit him on the web at www.clintonhenry.com. Until next time.